0: Hello and welcome to the new Keep Northern Ireland Beautiful podcast. This will be on air every few weeks and we will be going through the big issues that impact the environmental debate here in Northern Ireland and across Europe. I am your host David McCann and today with me is the Chief Executive of Keep Northern Ireland Beautiful, Dr. Ian Humphreys. In this episode we're going to be looking at some of the key objectives and issues facing the environment and the wider lobby which is seeking important change to legislation and wider societal goals across not just Northern Ireland but across the world indeed. Ian, you're very, very welcome and thank you for being um, our first, of course you had to be our first guest on the first uh, podcast from Keep Northern
1: Beautiful. Thanks for hosting that David, I'm delighted to be here and uh, look forward to this series.
0: Brilliant, fantastic. Ian, I want to jump right in because there's a lot to cover uh, over the next uh, 20 minutes or so. I just noticed that uh, something that uh, that caught my eye that I was reading through, um, you know, the, the strategy that Keeping It All Beautiful has published over its, its its aims and objectives for the next five years, and you start off with um, uh, quotes from David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg. Now, obviously, these two uh, characters have been very uh, influential in the environmental movement. What what drew you to those two, and what why why are they the first things that that catch the reader's eye uh, on this document?
1: Well, I think you know they have highlighted in a way that many of us have tried for many years and failed, I would say. They've highlighted the issues very clearly and succinctly uh, and managed to capture the public's attention to not just the issues, but the urgency with which we need to address them. Uh, and particularly the quotes that we've used uh, were very interesting to me. Um, in terms of you know David Attenborough saying about living within our means, we don't do that at the moment. And there are other organisations you know tell us. I think it's in August each year we've we've used up the resources that the planet can create in a year. So we're already living off the capital of the planet. And Greta Thunberg then talking about the rules needing to change. If we keep doing things the way we've been doing them, we'll keep getting the same results. And those results so far. Haven't really helped the environment, and and of course it, we start to see that now coming back. It's not helping us as people either. The, the way the weather's changing, the way pollution's uh, mm-hmm. starting to go up, and, and the way that we're losing all the the wonderful wildlife that we have.
0: Mm-hmm. And another thing, you know, some of the other things that we're talking about and we're we're getting into here. I mean, um, you know, obviously a big thing within the environmental sector, and we hear it often. We hear the word collaboration. Uh, we hear um, we hear about the need to 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 work together. What does that mean for you in practice? What 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 do you think we we could be doing better, and how do you think the process uh, of working together is is going?
1: To me, working collaboratively isn't an easy option, uh, you know, and I think most people would agree with that. Um, as soon as you have two opinions, you've you've two people's opinions to take into account, and if you widen that, it becomes more very quickly. So it's not an easy option, but it is an essential one in my view, and that is simply the scale of what we're facing, the scale of change that's needed, the scale of what we need to do, and the pace we need to do it at, cannot be achieved by any one organization. It doesn't matter if it's you know big central government or small charities like Keep Northern Ireland Beautiful, we can't do any of this alone. And actually, if we look at the, what the mission is, and uh, you could take one of those as, as tackling climate change, then it's going to need many, many organizations working on that mission. And of course, we all have different strengths to bring to that. Um, depending on our sector, depending on our skill sets, and by bringing those many different players together, we can actually have a very rich solution to the problem, rather than uh, just the viewpoint of Keep Northern Ireland beautiful, or any other one organisation that will seek to go their own path. It just—it's just bound to fail. So, collaboration is critical. It's key. Uh, it's here to stay, uh, and we will have to learn—you know—trial and error as we go through setting up collaborations, uh, but the the quicker we get to it, the better.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, you talked about it there. I mean, there are some umbrellas within the environment movement in Northern Ireland, which people do come together. I mean, you've got Northern Ireland Environment Link, which can do joint statements and joint um, joint approaches. Um, uh, we also have, um, uh, you know, other kind of umbrellas that can bring people uh, together, not not just within Northern Ireland, but across the UK. I mean, last week, There was a joint, there was joint positions put out about the environment bill between keep Britain tidy, keep Wales tidy, keep Scotland beautiful and keep Northern Ireland beautiful. Do you think that that will be increasingly what we will see going forward? Because often in the past we haven't uh, seen that.
1: Well, you know, not get into the sort of current politics, which could change pictures very quickly, but um, I do think that we'll see more of those joined up approaches and, and, and possibly even wider field. You know, we're members of the Foundation for Environmental Education, the Global Environmental Education Partnership, uh, and those organisations may start to have um, a, a position which its members, its membership can support uh, and push for in each of their uh, countries. You know, FEE itself has 75 country members. Um, and and you know if we're all going to be pushing for environmental education to be mandated in uh, us in our in country systems, then there's a there's a, a much more powerful block of voices than ever ours would be alone. So I, I think there's there's more chance of driving change when we come together um, and driving it effectively than than what might be a win in this country and a loss in that country that if we all do it apart.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, I mean the. the there's another thing we often hear about. We we hear about the terms about integrity and honesty and and you know being honest with your with your with yourself and being honest with with you know because it can you know we all have this where people have a predetermined view and a defined view. Maybe it's something that you have believed in good faith for a number of years, but research and new evidence comes it comes along and challenges that. I mean, what what would be your view on that and about how how that can be um, tapped into? Well, yes,
1: I think we have to base what we're doing on solid fact, on science, uh, and that you know that may bring things to light that we need to change tack as things go, and, and not ever be so sort of uh, sort of stuck in our ways that that we don't change it if the the needle points in a different direction. And I mean, a very it's almost in, in the global picture, it's a small thing, but you know, I for years was was telling councils that they shouldn't be. Uh, worrying about bins. There's no correlation between uh, litter grading on streets and uh, the number of bins present. But then we did a much more detailed survey where we actually counted numbers of litter items um, and we found actually there's a very high correlation between less litter and bins. So, you know, I've been, you know, I have to admit, I was misleading people for many years and now, thankfully, we've got better data, we can give better advice uh, and we're in a good position. So that's a simple example, but that will happen on some of the bigger things as well. And we have to just all be ready, I think, to accept that a position we might have held for a long time um, becomes irrelevant or or we see it now in a different light with new evidence and we we have to change that position. But that agility um, is going to, I think the the science will come thick and fast and we've got to be ready to adapt with it. So it isn't a matter of, oh, you know, we're an organization doing U-turns. We just, if we have better information, we can make better decisions and and that will improve the way that we we work with things.
0: And linking into that, I mean, this thing about, you know, changing the way we perceive things. I mean, for example, uh, for many people 10 years ago, the environment would have meant, oh, you just think about greenery, you think about litter, you think about dog farming. But, you know, the environment now is so much more, particularly in the past year, you know, it's so much more for people's health, uh, mental health in particular, getting outdoors, you know, you, you're seeing the environment being linked. I mean, for example, you're talking, you see a lot of these, for example, uh, doctors are prescribing things like um, environmental um, health, I forget, forget the name of it. Yeah, prescriptions were basically, you know, you're you you, you were able to go, I th- encourage an exercise and then things like that outdoors. Now, that wouldn't have been something we would have seen much of like 10, 15 years ago, but we're seeing it now. So in terms of the health aspect of it, how important do you think that is?
1: It's, it's hugely important. And right now, even more so than it ever was with people being very isolated with the various lockdowns that we've had. In fact, Green gyms have been around for over ten years, uh, probably over fifteen years. But as you say, they're, they're kind of getting getting a momentum now that that it's becoming more commonplace and, and, and much more in the sort of uh, vocabulary of everyday uh, usage. So that's really positive. Um, but our mental health uh, is critically important. We all have a responsibility to you know work through that for ourselves. Um, but of course, also as organisations, we have a duty of care to. certainly not make things any worse and if we can make things better for people Um, and uh, you know things have scaled up from litter and dog fouling we're now looking at at the picture in in much more global uh, sort of picture but knowing that we've got a local action local sort of strategy that we have to have to deal with it in Northern Ireland and who knows you know it could be another few generations before we're looking at the place of the world in the you know, wider space. I don't know, but we are certainly broadening our outlook on this and we have to because the pollution that's going out up into the air or out into the seas isn't staying around in Northern Ireland necessarily, but then some of it's coming back and some of somebody else's is coming back, whether it's in the air, we're breathing, the water, we're drinking, the the, the food we're eating. So actually the actions of people thousands of miles away start to impact us just as our actions are impacting on people thousands of miles away as well. So we all have to play together in this. And that's going to be a difficult collaboration, but it is another uh, pointer towards actually collaboration is essential if we're going to solve what are now global issues.
0: Yeah. And obviously, you know, there's, you know, I think one of the reasons why someone like Greta Thunberg, who uh, we went back to start really struck a chord, was because here was someone who started off as a lone protester, anyone who doesn't know her story. She was a lone protester. Um, sitting outside her local parliament and did it every this is where the this the this climate action protest came from in 2019 and um she she talked about that about about the fact that 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 she was um you know it, it was up to people like her and her age group to stress that that this is something that we will be dealing with in 20 30 years time i mean do you think that that message is really starting to get through to people now about you know with people like Greta Thunberg and we and we saw in Belfast even uh, in 2019 we saw a huge turnout at the climate protest i mean I, you know I, I never thought you know a protest about you know environmental issues would get so much traction not just here but around the world it wasn't yeah. it wasn't just belfast having that
1: well i think the message is now starting to be understood by people i think uh, having an awareness though doesn't necessarily lead to action And I think that's where organisations like ours have a part to play because uh, understanding it doesn't mean that people have changed whether they're still consuming as much or driving as much, travelling as much, other than COVID's prevented that. So when, and I'm saying when, I'm being positive here as as I think we have to be, uh, when we get on top of COVID and, and some things return to normal, actually we don't really want everything to return to normal. We have to think about how we travel less how we uh, consume less Mm -hmm. um, and how we have less of a a negative impact on the environment. So yes, the awareness is there and I think that is an important first step and it hasn't been there so broadly in the past. Now we have to translate that into individual actions, country actions, global actions that will clearly address the issues such as keeping climate uh, temperature Mm -hmm. rises to below 1.5 degrees C.
0: yeah. And obviously, you know, a key part of this is also about, you know, because when we talk about these things on global scales and it can be it can seem like a bit daunting to the average person going, well, well, what can I do? But there there are a number of things that always can. And, and you, you've you highlighted bits that there during the pandemic, for example, you know, changing the way we work, for example. Um, uh, if we were doing this um, this time last year, we probably would have been sitting in a in a boardroom uh, in, the, in an office doing it. Um, But we're sitting in different uh, parts across Northern Ireland doing this. I mean, Mm -hmm. do you think that that will be something that we will see change, you know, the the average person not having to take the daily commute?
1: I think for certain industries or certain sectors, I think things will have changed forever in that sense. Uh, And obviously we wanted wanted blended working because we've talked about mental health and some people need that Mm socialisation more than others. So um, I think we have to keep an office space or at least a space for staff to meet. Um, as much as other staff will be very happy working from home. But that's one example. I actually think while the the issues facing us can seem quite daunting, there's actually fun to be had in addressing them. Uh, And I know it's something that I've started doing more of, you know, growing my own food, saving food miles from buying stuff from elsewhere. Um, And yes, it's it's work in, in different weathers to get the thing to the table but once it's on the table you can be very proud of that potato or beetroot or whatever it is and to be honest it does taste really really good so yeah. and and of course once we're back out of covid and people are meeting on their allotments or chatting over the fence yeah. you know that brings its own impacts not just on the environment not just on our healthy diets but also on our emotional well-being when we're out enjoying nature uh, and maybe meeting like-minded people so this this does not in any way the, the issues are big right they're, no hiding that they're big and they're going to be challenging but actually the way that we as individuals can address them i think can actually be fun
0: yeah and uh, if you can teach me how to grow vegetables that'd be fantastic <laughs> i tried last year with with very little success i can tell you um, and we had and we had the weather for them as well now i want to talk about meat on the bones here because we've talked about some very aspirational goals mm-hmm. there so mm-hmm. you know the high how, how do we make this happen and i know that you have outlined some policy ideas that you think could be helpful um, in the medium term and in the longer term. So one of the first ones I want to talk to you, and you mentioned it earlier, about environmental education, okay? Mm. Um, I know you have the goal of um, uh, 50% of schools in Northern Ireland being uh, green flag schools, uh, and that would represent around 160,000 students actively engaging with the EcoSchools program. Um, just explain why that's why that's important and what benefit uh, we could maybe see from that.
1: I think that target in and of itself, is it's really what's underneath it that's important. Um, of course, reaching a target is good and, and having half our schools and we'd love more, but having half at the international standard uh, for environmental excellence really would be an achievement in itself. But underneath that, there has to be the understanding about the issues and individual actions uh, of the schools to address them, and they, you know, that whole eco school system of identifying environmental issues, getting young people involved in the decision making, uh, and actions that then solve them, gives them real hands-on experience to take into their next job. Uh, and of course, we've seen eco schools has moved from primary into post-primary schools. It's moved on into universities, and if you go to Ireland, every university is now working towards the same seven-step process the same flag mm-hmm. flying when they achieve it uh, the and, and it's moved on then into hospitals that also want to be following this process so it's eco schools is now becoming a societal movement um, and it's it's the fact that it is so successful in addressing uh, some of the big issues that those organizations and the individuals in them face so that and of course we're a long way even from having enough content in the curriculum for young people to have a full understanding of the issues. And one of the things you talked about the marches earlier, you know, one of the things that young people were calling for was just to know the truth and to get the facts clearly put in front of them. And I think climate literacy is going to be critical in at least giving a level playing field to people's understanding and not just not just for people in schools, but also for people in government. The, the politicians, the accountants, the policy makers, all need to understand if they're taking a particular decision on a subject, they need to understand what the implications are for climate change, for example, or biodiversity loss or pollution, and therefore balance that uh, and make better decisions in the future that will help us address those issues. So this movement of eco-schools hopefully brings through uh, a, a new group of people who think differently and particularly act differently to the way that we have lived our lives to date.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, another key part of that is is how you kind of mobilize that mass kind of because it is it is a mass effort, isn't it? You you, mm. you need populations uh, to be part of that and I know environmental education and, and behaviour change is also a big big part of that as well getting people to maybe change their habits Um, uh, um so far so that's another thing that, that, that you're talking about as well go ahead
1: I, yeah no I, I just think to, to finish that that piece of course eco schools that we run in Northern Ireland is the same that we run in Ireland in the rest of the UK and around the world as I said earlier there's there's probably 70 countries of the 75 members of FEE who are running eco-schools. So this is a mass movement and FEE has just uh, launched its FEE Academy um, where people can go for environmental education training uh, and again seeking to raise the standards of awareness and knowledge that people have which can then help support and drive the individual actions that we need to take.
0: The other thing that has been a big issue now this is another thing potentially it was set back at the early stages by the covid pandemic but single-use plastics there was big momentum being made big strides being made then um the pandemic hit and we saw reusables all of a sudden being being looked at now that that now that has abated a wee bit um uh you know in terms of the negative reaction against that but single-use plastics I mean one of the things I know that you're looking for is for uh, single-use plastics to be eliminated in all councils in Northern Ireland, there are 11 mm-hmm. of them, by 2023. How optimistic are you, one, that that's going to happen? And two, um, what do you think about the, the single-use plastics debate a year on um, uh, from the pandemic?
1: Yeah, i I'd answer the second part. First, I, I, I think that we have to drive the use of single-use plastics down Uh, I know there are bans coming for certain products which will help uh, and there could be levies on other products which would help. Um, But we haven't done enough during the pandemic to operate in a way that would continue to minimise the use of single-use plastics. It's been the easy solution and quick solution and I know there was a need for speed, particularly with with, uh, addressing the PPE issue. Um, But we could have worked as other countries have, such as New Zealand, where they've operated with refill systems carrying on Virtually as normal in a safe way, uh, without you know stepping back to the the single use items. So I think there's there's more could be done there, um, but I I would be optimistic that councils will uh, adopt this uh, move. I think it, it, it's undeniable the benefits that will be gained from it. Uh, we already actually have four councils have have made their own pledges on plastics. I think there's at least another two that are very. Uh, close to doing the same so there's already over half and, and mm. we're still a few years to go so now i would be optimistic that they'll they'll all actually want to not just do something on this but be seen to do something on this and, and in that sense inform the public and help mm. move the public in the same direction that they can support businesses that move in the right direction and get away from single-use plastics which then helps the other businesses to make that that decision which at, at the moment to be honest can have additional costs and therefore it, particularly during the pandemic has been a difficult decision for businesses.
0: And the final thing I want to touch on Ian is obviously um, you talk a lot about the the kind of and you we're, were linking on to there the circular economy okay and the circular economy uh, it looks at for example how we consume things, how we dispose of them um, and you know just just in general how, how we as consumers and also as businesses how, how they sell to us and then how we consume products. Um, you talk a lot about there are things you would like done by 2025, and obviously there are other goals that, that stretch out far beyond that. Can you just elaborate a wee bit more on that and, and, and how you see that progressing?
1: In terms of the circular economy? Yes. Yeah. I. It, it's an essential move that we make away from this linear uh, system that we have at the moment, that we make stuff and we package it with things. We use them, they break, we throw them away, they go into landfill or um you know quite often get sent overseas at the moment to be incinerated if, if they're combustible um, and of course our landfill's running out uh, and as we keep extracting things from the earth, we've talked about the pollution effects of those, the impacts on biodiversity and on climate change, that can't continue. We, we don't have an infinite resource under our feet, however big the globe is. So the circular economy then becomes an essential uh, way of dealing. With things that keep them in a closed loop system, so the plastics keep getting recycled and made into a new bottle if they need to be, um, uh, or they're given a second life in a different a different way. Clothes can be used in different ways after they've had their first life. So that to me is just it just has to happen, and it needs investment to happen, and that needs certainty in markets, and at the moment with global uncertainties and countries taking materials and not taking them, Mm -hmm. it's a great opportunity for us to decide to to invest in Northern Ireland, in infrastructure in Northern Ireland, or at least on the island of Ireland or UK if its scale is needed, that we can give certainty to businesses that they can invest in developing a proper circular economy. If we leave the uncertainty of the global market uh, to play here, it will be harder, but even so, it still is a must-do.
0: Yeah, absolutely, okay. Ian, thank you very much for taking the time to come and uh, talk to us today. And uh, this will be the first that we hope of many podcasts that we're gonna have guests uh, from around the environment sector, not just within Keeping Northern Ireland Beautiful, but also outside of it. So thank you for coming and being our first guest and talking about a wide range of issues there. I think we covered a lot of ground in, uh, in 20 minutes. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, David.
0: Thank you very much for listening to the Keep Northern Iron Beautiful podcast. Please remember to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your quality podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.